go, oh, oh, it's time to go Back to the dungeon far below Players arrive in time to die Man, I love to watch them cry Grab some dice, grab some fun Join the teachers in the dungeon And we are back on Teachers in the Dungeon. I'm Tom Gross with Dan Ream. We're talking with Michael Lowe of Luck of Legends. Did I just, did I get the right, uh, <laughs> it is Luck of Legends. Am I right? Oh my goodness. My apologies. <laughs> I should know that. I should have it memorized, but I'm on the website. It is luckoflegends.com. And Dan, I'm going to toss it to you for the next question. Well, I just had a, a specific one. Um, we talked about combat versus drama versus conflict and i guess the one one thing i wanted to ask is mm. conflict is mm. not necessarily combat correct and obviously conflict resolution is a very real part too of of how to be an adult mm-hmm. um so does that so does your game does conflict come up in your in your game always <laughs> constantly yes absolutely the question ends up becoming you know, this is a lot like you structure any learning experience, right? Sure. What is what is the lesson that I'm trying to explore with the kids? I don't I don't think of myself as wanting to convey a particular message, but I do have certain ethical principles to my storytelling, and my stories always tend to center around a certain set of themes. I deal a lot with racism and all kinds of inequity. Uh, I'm very interested in climate change and environmentalism and questions of sustainability and how to achieve it. I also was raised by a biology professor, so there's a lot of of bio-nerd stuff that gets in there. But I'll give you an example of perhaps my most, like, um, I guess my most D&D-esque game is Beast Preservation Corps, which, shout out to Sandy Pug Games, Monster Care Squad, very much the inspiration Kids play a group of magical researchers who have bonded beasts in a world called the Riftlands, where long ago there was a magical disaster. Nobody's sure what, but it had to do with people overusing magic. And all of the magic left the world and the creatures died out. And over the generations, people have been avoiding magic because they've, you know, there's been a lot of stigma attached and the world is regenerated. But now, people are starting to use it again and the world is beginning to become out of balance. So they are sent out from sanctuary, which is a centralized location. And they are asked to look into problems with populations of magical creatures, either reports that some are coming back or reports that some of them are having trouble with some population of people living nearby. And there are principles. So in Beast Preservation Corps, I I give them each a little badge and it's got you know, it's got some rules on it. And the first rule is all life is sacred. So you can't ride into town. And when you see that the farmers are destroying habitat, start lopping farmers' heads off because they're, <laughs> they are life too. And it works like that. So there's a lot of dealing with, and this is the funniest thing about violence. It's, it's interesting. Every time I talk about nonviolent game design, people get real violent. <laughs> people are really attached to violence. They're really violent about violence. The idea is, well, you're babying the kids. Boy, you know, real, real tough stuff. You gotta, you gotta have blood. And what I've found is that in actuality, what kids have learned from uh, most of our media is that violence acts for them as a sort of X card. They don't get violent 
in in a way of in a way that suggests they understand the impact or the the reality of the consequences of violence. They get violent because they're uncomfortable. So somebody says something they don't like. They're in a situation where they feel nervous. If you play a game in which preloaded with violent abilities and sort of coached by the system that the point of this is to hurt things, then they're going to do what the system encourages them to do, which is perfectly reasonable. And in fact, this is one of my struggles when I started playing fifth ed with kids. It's like, boy, I can't, I can't win. Cause if I give them what they want and violence is transformative and feels victorious, I'm teaching them something I don't believe in. I'm teaching them that violence solves problems when in fact it perpetuates cycles of violence and trauma. On the other hand, if I problematize violence, which is what I used to do in my games with adults, where you know they do something they thought was heroic and find out that, in fact, what they'd done was horrible, then I've set them up for an emotional, you know, it's rope It's really unfair to them, right? It's set them up for a form of different kind of trauma, trust trauma, right? I just gained your trust and then violated it and made you feel guilty. So instead, I tried to create systems and settings in which the problems were about, I, I call this the Doctor Who method of storytelling. So monsters are people too. You can always talk it out. If you talk enough, there's always a solution. There are crazy, weird, wonderful solutions if you can only get crazy and weird and wonderful enough. And everybody is still running around and there's still some impending doom that's really dramatic. (laughs) And it works wonderfully. Like kids love it, you know? But there's a lot of drama and there's a lot of conflict and there's a lot of understanding of how to deal with complex conflict. Because real conflict doesn't get solved by punching someone. You have to talk about it and they're going to say some uncomfortable stuff and you're going to say some uncomfortable stuff and you're going to have to come up with something that will allow the situation to come to some kind of resolution and it may not be entirely satisfying. That to me is coaching kids for reality. And that is super cool. I've, I've never had anyone express it quite the way you have. And that's, that's really neat. I really appreciate that standpoint looking at that. Hey, I wanted to, you mentioned, uh, by the way, the adventure or the, the story that you just described, and, hmm. I, and I've already forgotten the name of it. East you, Preservation uh, Corps. Okay. I just think that's so cool. <laughs> I, it's, it's the big winner. Kids all want a pet, man. Every single one of them is like, give me a pet. And I'm like, yeah, you can have a pet. That, 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 that wins for so that cool. one right out the gate. Everybody wants to create, you know, I've had kids riding around on mini Godzillas. It's been great. Nice. <laughs> nice. So looking at uh, luckalegends.com, when you mm. go to that webpage, which mm. we are encouraging, everyone will have the link in our show notes as well. When you scroll down on that, I come across a story game of wonder and adventure called Star Sworn. And I see yeah. the image of chapter one, Starfall Festival here. Tell us about this. This looks really cool. I'm super nerdy about Stories RPG and Star Sworn. So Stories RPG is kind of the core mechanic. It's the SRD for Star Sworn. It's available on my itch page. It's available at storiesrpg.com. It's a two-page. It's very simple. It explains what a story game is and based on sentence stems for characters and a similar dice pool approach. Star Sworn, the cool thing about it was I wrote this with Daniel Hines, who is the writer for storiespodcast.com. And if you have never been there, it is the largest and longest running kids story time podcast on the web, period. He he started doing this in like 2006. Like he's been doing this forever. (laughs) And um, it was weird. I was on a one page RPG jam and I was 
bumming around and somebody posted, I'm making a game for kids and I want it to be easy to play. And I said, oh, you know, I'm an educator and this is what I do. I build games for kids. And he said, oh, would you take a look? And I said, sure. So I gave him the edit and I said, what are you building this for? And I gave him a very careful edit. I said, there's a lot of things you need to tweak here. I think this mechanic isn't working because it won't work for kids like this. And he said, oh, well, you know, I have a podcast. And he told me what he does. I raised my son on his podcast. So I was like, I literally, I had a fan moment where I ran into the other room with my wife and kid and I went, I'm talking to Daniel Hines on Discord. (laughs) And my son goes, you mean the guy who wrote Dog King? And we both sang an entire round of Dog King, King of the Dogs right then then and there. So yeah, we built this together. He, He, we collaborated on it. And now he's running a monthly annotated podcast where he actually plays the game with his cast and they model for kids what a game is because I'm obsessed with democratizing gaming. It's crazy to me that tabletop has been such a closed box because it's so wonderful for everyone. There's nobody who doesn't love a story game. And I, this is again, just to be honest here, this is again, one of my, my D and D things. Not everybody wants to play D and D and it can scare a lot of folks away from the table with a very war gamey mechanical approach. And so helping parents understand that this is a wonderful tool for teaching kids and that they can use it with their kids to explore both social growth and actual academic growth. It's really important. So their annotated pod now releases and there's a monthly chapter release of a print and play at home game where you play to learn. So it tells you exactly what to do. It doesn't try to do the manual approach where it says, here are all the rules. It doesn't do that. It says, just do this right now. Okay, now turn the page. Now do this. Read this aloud. All right, decide what you want to do. Hey, do you want to roll some dice? Here's what you can do to roll some dice. Yeah, it's my answer to how to introduce parents and kids. And the story is parallel to the pods. So one of the cool things is there are crossover episodes. We're about to have one. Dan actually recorded it last weekend. And I'm currently working on chapter three right now. You it's in a world that's from his pods, Max Goodname. It's his, uh, it's his very much D&D setting. The heroes are going to make their way to this conservatory. In this world, the stars have just fallen, and it's caused chaos. This is where magic apparently originally came from, and if a star chooses you, then you are gifted with incredible powers. But of course, you're also, you know, there's the question of what are you going to do with them? So some people and animals and places are causing great chaos. They're not evil. There's some issues to be resolved. So there's this is the magical school episode chapter where they're going to the conservatory to learn about their powers and and also some of the mysteries that are going to be upcoming. And there's going to be a good 10 to 12 chapters. We got a pretty massive and epic storyline planned. We've been <laughs> machinating and creating all these like lovely little threads that we're weaving through. There's a spreadsheet with characters. It's intense. Nice. That sounds the, cool. It's really fun. The art in there is by Rob Hebert, who is at nerdypapergames.com, and he's incredible. His coloring book style illustrations, we're, we're all a little obsessed over here. We've been coloring them in. You know, we print them off before everybody else gets them and color them. Um, <laughs> my wife has been caught coloring these on Procreate, which she will she will attempt to avoid admitting to, but they're that good. They're very evocative. They're very full of character, full of wonder, and it's an invitation to interact. Mm-hmm. And it sort of demonstrates for kids how it's a combination of a choose-your-own-adventure, a story that you tell with your friends, a bit of a board game, and 
you know, some read alouds. There's a lot mm-hmm. to a role-playing game that, that is familiar, but learning to blend them and weave between them is something that is an expert skill. And so scaffolding up to that is what starsworn has been all about. Cool. I, I will admit, while I was doing a little research for our talk with you, on the storiesrpg.com site, you have a sample or an episode, it looks like, on there. And I, I hit play and I went you know, just kind of looking around your uh, websites and I caught myself just daydreaming in their story as they went. And it was and, magnificent. And- I will just say, you know, if he's been at it since 2006, it is evident. It is, it is, the production is wonderful. The cast is wonderful. And the story was compelling. And I can see how kids would definitely become in, immersed in this story. So congratulations to He's, you and all of that. Is, is, it was really cool to listen to. Right on. That absolutely makes my day. And I'm going to tell Dan that and it's going to make his. One of the most interesting things he told me, and he really does make an unbelievably professional podcast. He had something like 2 million downloads, max, height of the pandemic. So he really is big. Which is funny because, you know, you meet him and you're like, yeah, he's just a guy doing his pod and has been doing it for a long time. And he built his base. And, you know, one of the things he told me was he's like, you have no idea how nice it is to hear that somebody is listening. And I said, well, you know, people are listening. He's like, yeah, but nobody tells you. And so, you know, I was like, listen, man, I can sing so many of the songs that Amanda (laughs) Weldon has and you wrote. And I can, you know, I can relate. We listen to those stories. And he's like, that means the world to me. And my son immediately was like, you're talking Danny <laughs> Like we'd be on Zoom and he'd come in the room and he'd kind of be like, you know, in the corner. <laughs> like, daddy, can I? And I'm like, yeah, you can say hi. He's like, oh, hey. And Sage is like, oh my gosh. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a really amazing, and I'm not aware of any other kid-focused RPG out there that has all these elements, right? It's designed for beginners. You learn it as you play. It's print and play, so it's a little more accessible than a lot of things that require a purchase. It's got an entire monthly release podcast that teaches you how to do it by letting you listen to it. The storylines are parallel, so you get to meet some of the characters from the pod in Chapter 3, and they get involved in your story. I don't know. It's uh, It feels very epic to me. Oh, very exciting. It most definitely is. Most definitely is. So I think we'll take one more break. Michael, do you have time for one more segment? <laughs> I'm down. Let's go. As long as you have tolerance for me, I will uh, I will keep you. I, I penciled Absolutely. this in. I'm I'm down. Excellent. Well, we will be right back talking with Michael Lowe. I'm Tom Gross, Dan Ream. We'll be right back on Teachers in the Dungeon. And we are back. This is Tom Gross with Dan Ream, Teachers in the Dungeon. We are we are deep in the dungeon right now, uh, sir, because we are talking with Michael Lowe. And we are having a magnificent conversation about storytelling, RPGs with kids. We've talked about the classroom. I want to talk a little bit about our education community. Because, Michael, where I discovered you was, I don't even remember how it happened. I think I, I came across the thread on Twitter where I saw a Discord channel. And so I was like, oh, it looks cool. I'll hop in and got involved in that. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, it's the first uh, Discord server that I've... Well, I guess it... Take that back. Where are your it's first the, Discord server? It's, 
It's the oh second, the second, because when I'm over the pandemic, <laughs> <laughs> because so over the pandemic, <laughs> yeah, right. Over the pandemic, when Dan and I started playing, uh, our, we moved our D and D game online. We were using Roll Twenty, and yeah. the 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 map, you know, generator, and that was great. But the audio, you know, you mm. trying to get onto Roll Twenty on a Friday night in the pandemic, forget <laughs> it. So, we, nope. so nope. we created a nope. dis, that, that was my first introduction to Discord. But you are my second introduction, but through a in, you know a community that's larger wow. than our D and D group. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm I'm sort of new to the Discord community, but it's TTRPG mm. in education. Is that is that how people yes. get onto um, that? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, actually, so I should really give you guys a link that you can post with the episode. I'm by no more an expert myself, but join links that are permanently open are the best way to invite folks. It is for educators who are interested in working with games and who use games. And we've got some pretty incredible people on there. If you know, oh gosh, I've forgotten her real life name. This is the problem with Discord and <laughs> Twitter. Twitter. You, you learn people's handles and you're like, oh yeah, you know. Fancy Unicorn 8. And people are like, I don't know what you're, yeah. Um, <laughs> what does that mean? She's one of the original um, out-school DMs for kids. She's been featured in a bunch of articles. She's on there now. And she was one of our later ads and sort of jumped on and has been lovely. That that was me and Catherine Fisher, who is, she runs Edutail, which is a game for social skills, especially for neurodivergent kids and kids with uh, struggles there's also Peter Jung, who's from Game to Grow, who's one of the largest grant holders for social game education. Rich, who's from Inspirals, he's Hatchling DM on Twitter. He's on there. He's creating educational games. I mean, the bottom line is it's, uh, I, I lucked out. I stumbled onto Twitter and ran into all these lovely teacher gamers. And we all sort of started accumulating. And Catherine and I built that Discord after we got into a few conversations about a book we're writing chapters for. So um, she's involved with the book project in Europe, particularly Germany, but there's people from all over in there where they're composing a, a full academic discourse on the use of RPGs in education. And we got into a conversation. We're like, how do we get this into more people's hands? Because, you know, academic books are great and all, but they don't necessarily mean people are going to be running out into the streets and doing the thing. And so we were like, all right, let's, let's start putting some energy into this. And we've been thrilled at all the people we've met and at all the ideas that are bouncing off the walls. Yeah. I could do a bunch more shout outs. There's Sam who bills as the educational DM, yep. Jason Ermer, who is mythematics. And he and I had a really cool conversation about mechanics in games and how to, how to create math mechanics that are incentivizing for the kind of repeated practice you need for mastery. Yeah, so I think there's a there's a coming wave. I'm excited about the energy and the momentum that the community has, and I think there's going to be a lot of tools and approaches that come out of it that will be really effective as here's a thing, take it and run for the average teacher. I think it's a great, it's a cool community. And I, it, it's brought me into like, I even downloaded discord to my phone. <laughs> so not to sound too, you know, like novice or showing my age too much, but it was, it's really neat. And I've, I've enjoyed, it's sort of like, you know, when I was introduced to Twitter, 
I remember, and I don't know who the person was that told me this, but they, I was like, I'm, I'm a little stressed out about this feed <laughs> yeah. and Twitter that just doesn't yeah. stop in there. Like, you know, Tom, they said, the thing you need to know about social media is it's a stream and it's going to flow and you cannot possibly catch everything. Nope. So when you go to Twitter, you're, you're dipping your cup in and you're taking a look and seeing what you got. And so I've been kind of treating the discord the same way because people are coming in all the time. And it's been a lot of fun. And I've looking at your text channels. I love the topics, some of these topics that you have, like scientific research or resources, mm -hmm. sorry, and RPG news. And you have the one that really stands out to me is the um, therapeutic case use. I'm yep. really interested in how RPGs can be used um, in that way in your collegial case advice and after school programs. You have a lot of really cool discussion spots there. So I you hope should talk I, to I, a couple of people. I should give you some names because therapy, the therapeutic approach is much more developed than the educational one. The academic right, approach. Right. Yeah. The academic approach is the new one. The academic mm. approach is the one that feels almost like it's like, wait, can we really do that? Therapeutic approach has been grant driven and has got a real serious following. There's a lot of people looking into how to use it. And, you know, I spoke with a child psychologist who works with one of my patients, partly because she had seen real growth and was like, what are you doing? And how are you doing it? And was very interested in the approach. And, you know, I've talked with uh, a lot of neurodivergent folks in the space who have used games both with other neurodivergent folks to try to cultivate certain types of skills and help people navigate in the awkward world of neurotypical. And it's uh, had really transformative effects and been really well. The problem is not a lot of people have been using it academically. There's one who stands out, uh, Marianne Kuliopi. She's uh, on Twitter. She's a Sanford exceptional teacher winner, award winner for 2019. She's doing her PhD right now on educational RPGs. And she's been running RPGs in the classroom. So she's done things like use Mouse Ritter and had it to teach dichotomous keys. So, you know, the group of, of mice who was left behind when other mice leave to go take care of an issue have to feed the babies and they have a big pile of mushrooms. Can you identify which ones are safe to feed the kids? So use the dichotomous key. There's a very serious narrative consequence, right? So it both ups the engagement, ups the emotional intensity, but it also grounds in a skill. So there's a lot of potential here, and there's a lot of cool people doing really neat stuff in the space. Heck, we've got uh, Dr. Emily Friedman, if you know her. She's been the one doing lit-style analysis. She comes from sort of like, you know, really old-school lit analysis from like the 18th century and 19th centuries, but she's applying similar skills to doing text readings of live plays. So she's writing academic texts about critical role and levels of meta-narrative, right? Play versus character versus person to person, right? Emotional interactions. There's some really interesting wow. stuff that goes on in role-playing games. It's hyper-complex and allows for a lot of really cool things to happen. That is super cool. Wow. So that's a lot to unpack there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. These are all <laughs> and these are all people I met on Twitter, you know? Like you wouldn't think. I think Twitter I is also what you make it. You have to know where to go fishing. Um that's and you have right. to curate, you know, if it's a stream, know your spots. because um, <laughs> you don't want to fish near the sludge. Uh no. you want to fish in the nice clean part where you know the birds are singing and yeah, the water's <laughs> clear. Love that analogy. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Dan, do you have any final thoughts or questions? 
I'm going to go off in a million different directions. So I think we'll save this for a subsequent, subsequent <laughs> area. I'm just sort of sorting through all this and trying to piece it together with some of the other stuff I've looked at. There's an article. I don't know if you're familiar with the online website Quillette. Mm. Um, it's, I don't know how you describe it, but anyway, there was an article on just pretty close to what we were talking about the, some in-depth research on the effect of role-playing games and communal storytelling on people. Yeah. Um, so that's something I'm really interested in. And I actually had a bunch of notes on that and like, no, nah, we're going to save that. So I would love to talk to- about that. I have a whole blog about some of the neuroscience that is behind why they're so compelling for what it's worth. If you guys ever want a copy of what I do, and if you want to be, you know, if you want to play around with the tools that I've been using and see what they can do in your classrooms, let me know. Cause I'm, I'm looking forward to trying to release my games over the coming year. And one of the really key elements is putting them into teachers' hands and seeing what teachers do with them and what teachers okay. need and don't need in and out of the classroom to make them work. So I love talking to teachers who are in gaming and pretty much anybody who will sit still and it goes, Oh, that's cool what you do. I'll be like, do you want some? Cause I'll give you some, but you've got to tell me things. So yeah. for what it's worth. Well, that is super I, cool. That Yeah. I, I'll probably take you up on that. I've got right uh, on. I've got, we'll see what you can do for a human geography class. Beautiful. <laughs> I think I, oh, I have a couple things that I, I will try to restrain myself. <laughs> Cause the, the minute you said that, I was like, wait, I actually have an idea on that. So yeah. Very cool. Human yeah. geography is such a great subject and they're, oof, they've made it part of the curriculum in, uh, in California. Now that you actually have to learn about other cultures. Thank goodness. Like they'll make you study <laughs> world history, but not world culture. What are they doing? Yeah. <laughs> you would like rim worlds. I think rim worlds is one of the really interesting game setups that I have. The idea is when people left earth, they went it, expecting to find dead worlds. And instead they found every world outside their solar system teeming with life. And what they found out was the galaxies had been seeded long ago by a race known only as the progenitors, a people. And one of the first things the kids learn is alien is, is an invective. The appropriate, the, the polite term is, mm-hmm. is uh, otherworlder and the honorific is descendant because it means we are all descended of the same people. And there's also a bunch of stuff in that setting about bots, you know, robots who had to fight for their independence and identity. There's a lot of ways in which you can deal in fiction with very important real world subjects and ground important ethical values. And a lot of that game has to do with researchers going to worlds and meeting peoples who sometimes communicate in completely abstract ways and having to figure out how to communicate across that barrier how not to intrude, how not to offend, and whether those people were open to being part of a larger society or not. There's a lot of interesting stuff you can do with fiction. And I think we forget that because as we grow older, we somehow imagine that story is no longer learning. It's, you know, play is not learning. Play is this thing that is outside of learning, which is utterly foolish as every teacher knows. Well, this has been this has been a, a wonderful conversation. I've just, I'm, I'm a little bit in awe of all of the work and all the, 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 the things that you've shared with us here on Teachers in the Dungeon. So I just want to start by saying, we hope that you are willing to come back on and continue a conversation in future episodes. I, I do want to say, you spent quite a bit of time with us today, and we appreciate you spending this time to share your story with us. So 
if people want to, until you come back, if people want to reach mm. out and continue that conversation, we've mentioned several different places to do that, but could, could you tell us all the different places that are good places to reach out to you and continue this conversation? Sure. I'm luckoflegends.com is the place to find me. On Twitter, I'm at lucklegends. On Instagram, I'm luckoflegends. On Facebook, I'm luckoflegends. On itch.io, itch.io, if you want to find some of my grown-up stuff, you can find me there at luckoflegends. So I'm pretty much the same, the same, uh, the same phrase everywhere, except for storiesrpg.com, which is my my co-venture with Daniel Hines. And that's been so amazing. And I highly recommend it. The first chapter and the, the core system are free. They're pay what you want. So hop on there, download it, play it tonight, play it tomorrow. Tell me if you do, I'd love to talk to you about it. This is both what I do for a living now, but it's also a deep passion. So I would really right. love to talk to anybody who's into it. Very good. Well, I think that'll wrap up this episode of Teachers in the Dungeon. For Michael Lowe, for Dan Ream, I'm Tom Gross. Keep rolling those 20s and those saving throws, folks. We'll talk to you next time. (laughs) That wraps up today's session. So thank you for listening to Teachers in the Dungeon. We appreciate you and your feedback. Until the next time we see you in the dungeon, we hope you roll high on those saving throws. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear what happens in the adventure, subscribe to the podcast. Have questions, thoughts, or ideas? Check the show notes for our website and our contact information. This podcast is not affiliated or endorsed by Wizards of the Coast, Hasbro, or any other third-party Dungeons & Dragons entity. Teachers in the Dungeon is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names and sounds and any other related items are properties of their respective trademarks and or copyright holders in the U.S. or abroad. The official Dungeons & Dragons website can be found at www.dnd.wizards.com.